And that's why this morning we say, let all the hallelujah belong to you. Let all the honor God belong to you. And when you say, oh, test and see that the Lord is good. We pray in Jesus' name that your word this morning would demonstrate that goodness of yours. That we walk out of this place, God saying, Thank God I am saved. Thank God I am a child of God. And this God can be taken upon his word. Thank you, Lord, for your word says. You've exhorted your word above all your name. Your name can be trusted. Your word can be trusted. And you say forever, forever, your word is settled in heaven. And today we want to say, Lord, as it is in heaven, so let it be here on earth. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may take your seat. May the Lord richly bless you. Thank you so much. Praise Him. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to see all of you in God's house. I know the times we are living in are challenging times. But our God remains God. Amen. It does not change. He is exactly the same as he was before the foundations of the earth. He remains God. Amen. As you know, we are in the month of the evidence of God's goodness. And uh, that scripture is coming from the book, uh, that theme is coming from the book of Psalm 34, verse 8, which says, Oh, test and see that the Lord is good. I think if there is one thing that we can say with all the confidence, is that the Lord is good. Amen? And his goodness is not dependent on weather. And his goodness is not dependent on what is going on in the world. He is just good. And there is nothing else that can change that goodness. Amen. I was reading about Charles Spurgeon. And uh, one of the things that uh, 
he said, was that long before the earth was formed, and long before the foundations of the everlasting mountains and the everlasting hills were laid, long before even the stars began to shine. There was one thing that God knew, and God knew that the epitome of his creation called man was going to see. And that the whole rest will eventually fail. And that the whole human race was going to fall from the original state that was in the first Adam. And that in consequence of that one man's disobedience, everyone who is born of the lineage of this first Adam would become a sinner. And that every one of them was going to rebel against God. And right there and then, God begins to purpose it in his eternal plan. Even before time commences, that there had to be a second Adam. And that second Adam had to come and repair the mischief of the first Adam. And become a surety to answer for the sons of men. And that the sons of men can be served and can have their sins laid on this second Adam. And serve them with an everlasting salvation. And Charles Spurgeon says, no angel could venture into that divine counsel or decree, but only the Son of God. And that no angel could offer himself as a surety or as a sponsor for the new covenant as we know it today. Apart from only one man and one man called Jesus Christ. And when you think about Christ, you take that thought and you carry on with it, you actually begin to understand and realize that even as Christ started to observe the progress in terms of evil among us, the sons of men, Adding sin to sin through generation to generation as the sons and the daughters of men were being born on planet earth. Polluting every purge of history until God's presence had been tried to the uttermost. Then one day, according to Psalm 47 to 8, Jesus Christ said, then said I, Lord, in the volume of the book it is written of me. 
I delight to do thy will. O my God, thy law is within my heart. And he decided I'm going to appear on planet earth. But I'll not come down on planet earth as God. Let me go down there, come as a baby, upon the breast of a woman, though I know that I am king eternal, because I realize that there is no other way to serve the human race than stooping down to their level. And the only way the earth can be brought up to heaven is to bring the heaven down to the earth. So when we begin to say, oh, test and see that the Lord is good. That's what we're talking about. But then the question is, what would make the king eternal? To forego all these things. And what would make God. Who knew? Because if it was someone else. Maybe he would have decided. Not to create man. Because if you already know. That this man is going to sin. This man is going to rebel. This man is going to be. Is going to progress in evil. And is going to add sin to sin. And it's not only going to be one generation, but it's going to be generation through generation through generation to the point that they are going to test my patience to the uttermost level. Why would God still go ahead and create man? And why would Jesus even take on this role of saying, Lord, I know I know that no, no angel can do any of this. It has to take upon myself. It's a question that I want to ask to answer this morning. Amen? So that when we say, oh, test and see that the Lord is good, we can begin to understand in a deeper level than possibly we have ever known before. And we're going to look at a few case studies. Of all what this means. In the book of Psalm 103. And in verse 13. 50, it say amen. Psalm 103 verse 13. The Bible says. As. A father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And as you carry on going to verse 14, he says, This because he knows how we were framed, that we are but dust. 
And when you read that statement, you begin to understand why God in Genesis chapter 3 And, and, and that made me understand, go like, okay, now I fully, I kind of begin to get this thing about, about salvation. In Genesis chapter 2, sorry, verse 16 or verse 15, says, Then the Lord God took the man. This is a man, he knows this man is going to sin. This man is going to rebel against me. His lineage is going to progress in evil. And his lineage is going to test my patience to the level that no any other has done. The Bible says, then God took this man and put him in the garden of Eden. Tend and keep it. But verse 16 answers what Charles Spurgeon is talking about. Then the Bible says, And the Lord God commanded. You know what a command is, right? You know what a command is, right? What is a command? Huh? It's an order. What, what else? A must? Anything else? This you must do. Or this one you must never ever do. Now, go, if we go to verse 26, the Bible is telling us he, he created man in his image after his likeness and everything else. And then you come to verse 16. This man who has been created in your own image. After your own likeness. Has your very own nature. As you go into the book of Psalms. You begin to understand. That we have the nature of God. Within us. No any other creature has got that privilege. And I've said it in church before. A son of a God. Is a God. A son of a hyena is a hyena. A son of a leopard is a leopard. A son of an ant is an ant. A son of a cockroach is a cockroach. The same applies to the daughter. And as us, God decides, I am going to make these ones in my own image, after my own likeness, they will have my own nature. And eventually the Bible says, don't you know that you are God's? But then you come into verse 16. The first thing he says to the man. The Bible says, I am giving you an order. I am giving you a must. Let's see what he says. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. And when they say freely, it means freely. Whether you want to go in the morning, 6 o'clock, and, and eat this fruit, and then 7 o'clock you eat another one, and 9 o'clock you eat another one, and then you wake up in the middle of the night, and then you want to go and eat, you, you can eat, you, you are 
free. There is no restriction whatsoever. And then he says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. This one you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. And, and all these things he is saying is, he's saying, yes, I have made him a little lower than the angels. I have given him the same nature as my nature. The same character as my character. I have given him that divine aspect. The only one who can test something that is of divine. The only one who, are, who can have a spirit. And can be able to hear me. Can be able to, to understand what I am saying. The only one I can communicate to directly from heaven on earth. The only one who can, who can say, I hear the Lord. The only one who can say, I feel the Lord. The only one who can say, the Lord is saying. The only, the only one. The only one who can say that. He says, you know what? This is what I'm giving you. So man rebels. And there's only one thing that the Bible tells us that that can make Christ to take on the road that he took. And the answer lies in this, the team that we read of Psalm 103. Christ is moved by compassion. And moved by compassion, he enters into a covenant with his father on our behalf. Not on his behalf, on our behalf. Because the Bible talks about him that he knew no sin. Even when he came on planet earth and walked on planet earth, the Bible says he was tested in every way that every man is tested, but in him was found no sin. And the Bible says, Lord, Father, that's why you go into the book of Ephesians. It says, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he enters into a covenant with God. Because he knows when I go down there, I'm going to become fully human. He enters into a covenant with God. And he says, I am entering into this covenant, God, on behalf of those that have rebelled against you. Of those who have sinned against you. And I'll be their sufferer. I'm going to bear their shame. That I might bring them. My glory. No wonder the Bible says. Christ in us. The hope. Of glory. So he enters into that covenant. And if you were going to sum up the whole character of Christ in reference to ourselves, you can only sum it up, you can gather it, I think, only in one sentence. You can say, he was moved with compassion. So when we are talking today, for today, the evidence of 
God's goodness, I want to submit to you, is that it's his compassion. Hallelujah. There's a gentleman called Frederick Buchner. Frederick Buchner says this. He says, this is what it means to have compassion. I checked the dictionaries and everything else until I came across his definition and I said, this one makes a lot of sense. And this is how he defines compassion. He says, compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside somebody's Somebody else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can never really be any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. And and when you take that definition, he says, you you come to this point. He says it is Fertile. Fertile capacity for feeling. The, the kind of feeling that you know, if I, if, if, if I dare act on what I am feeling right now with regard to this person, this thing can cost my life. It says that, that kind of feeling, but it comes because you begin to ask yourself, what is it like to live inside somebody else's skin. And I'm going to give a few examples today. Which possibly will make us begin to understand why Christ acted with compassion. And and I want us to capture that. And we'll give a few examples. Some will apply to us. But, but, but I think I want us to think about that. Because no wonder, no wonder, it can cost you life. Hallelujah. And, and he says, until you know that I have to do this thing, there can never be peace, there can never be joy for me, unless this person also experiences the same joy and the same peace. It's, it's more or less like if you have never been an orphan before and you begin to think. So you, you've never been in that kind of experience before but you begin to think and go like, okay. How does it feel to move into the skin of an orphan? No, no wonder, uh, I think it's Prince William. Prince William is a patron of one of the uh, charities in the UK. And one of them, I think, is, is the one that deals with the homeless. One day he had to leave the palace where, where he was living. And go live on the streets with the homeless. To live the way the homeless live. And the only thing that you can begin to think why he did that was because 
he, he really wanted to understand how does it feel to live in the skin of a homeless person that when it is winter, they don't have any heating. That they go begging from that person and begging from that person and begging from that person and begging from that person. It's more or less like you tell yourself there can never be peace for me. There can never be joy for me unless there is peace and joy for the street children. And you know the way they behave. I don't need to say much about because if there is a group of young kids who can kill our street kids, some of them. But it is because of what they have gone through. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes, it says, one thing I know is that God made man good. But man has gone to seek after evil. So Jesus with this, and, and when this what I'm talking about right now, is, is what differentiates compassion from empathy. Because empathy is the ability to relate to another person's pain as if it is your own. But it's only relating. It's only relating. Because after, after you have related to the pain that somebody is going through, there is something else that has to be done. And that's how compassion comes in. Empathy, similar to, 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 to sympathy, is grounded in emotion, is grounded in feeling, but there is one thing that empathy lacks. It lacks action. Until you act. And that component of action is what separates compassion from empathy. That, that action, that, that, that element and that component of action, acting afterwards, is what separates Compassion from sympathy, from pity, from concern, from anything else. One thing with compassion is that compassion gets involved. And the fruit of compassion is mercy. When we begin to say, for his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. We would never ever have experienced Experience the mercy of God if he was never compassionate with us. Hallelujah. He had to put himself in our skin. God, God, literally God, had to say, okay, I'm taking off my divinity. You find that in Philippians chapter 2. That though he was God, he didn't consider robbery to be, to be God. But he took on a nature of being a human being. Was that nature. The thing that had to make Christ to say, Hallelujah. The thing that made him that. No wonder he ended up going to the cross. 
So when you go in the New Testament, you see Christ constantly being moved by compassion. Constantly. Go in the book of Matthew, go in the book of Mark, go in the book of Luke. You are going to see him constantly is being moved by compassion. The reason why Christ showed people mercy. Mercy came out as a fruit of compassion. Because there are sometimes you 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 can you can you can try to identify with or relate with how somebody else is feeling. There are so many things that have moved you before. Hallelujah. There, there, there. Sometimes you, you look at a, a an orphan, you look at a street kid, you look at all sorts of things around you, and, and you can really relate to how they are feeling. But you cannot do anything. Some of the things you cannot do because you don't have the resources to do them, but some of the things you even have got the resources to do, but you say, hey, in a, in a, I'm only one person. Can I deal with all the problems of the world? So the, some of the things they, they continue to it doesn't mean you don't empathize. You actually empathize. But you are not compassionate enough to act. Because if you are compassionate enough to act, you know it can cost you your very own life. Hallelujah. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew 20. I'll just read a few scriptures. Matthew chapter 20. I want, I want us to begin to see what really moved Christ. There are lots and lots of scriptures that we could have read, but we cannot go to read all of them. Matthew chapter 20. The Bible says in verse 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And you know what? When the Bible says a great multitude followed him, it means a great multitude followed him. There were moments last year when they would say, we want to have a million march. If you recall. And, and if you see some of those pictures, you can say, I have, I have, I, I have, I've ever seen before a crowd, but this one is a crowd. So, so the Bible says there was a humongous group of people. They were all following him. And the Bible says, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. They knew that the only way Christ is going to act and show the mercy Show them the fruit of compassion. Was if he acts. So then they say. Then the multitude. Warned them. And when the Bible says warned them. It means they warned them. 
The multitude warned them that they should be quiet. Because in those days, there was a belief that if you've been born blind, it's because somebody sinned. Hallelujah. There was a time a blind man, Jesus heals a blind man. And then after the blind man is healed, the Jews are busy watching and say, well, let's see what he's going to do. And the Bible tells us it was on the Sabbath. And he heals this blind man. Uh, he, he, Jesus, what he does is he goes, he goes on the ground, spits a bit of saliva on the ground, takes the wet soil, puts it on the man's eyes, and he tells him, go and wash yourself in the pool of slaw. And the man goes to wash in the pool of Siloam and he sees. Immediately, the Jewish leaders, because you're not supposed to do that on a Sabbath, they get this guy and bring him into the synagogue. They begin to question him. And afterwards, as they begin to question him, things carry on. And he discloses it was Jesus. And others say, there's no way, go call his parents, his parents come. They ask him, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Who has made him more? And he says, ah, he's of age. Let him answer for himself. And then the, the man says, And so the reason why they are telling him, shut up, is because they concluded already these guys are born blind because either their parents sinned or they are sinners. So they tell them, quiet. But the Bible says, but they cried out the more. Saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. And their cry got to Jesus. And the Bible says, so Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? That question, what do you want me to do for you? I, I, can, I can feel Christ saying, what? Because, because he is, he is, he is trying to think how to live inside of a body of somebody who is blind. Let, let's try to think a bit here. I want you to think, you and I can see, because some things we take for granted. You and I can see. But I want you to begin to imagine right now, how does it feel that you are born, the moment you say, you can't see. And your parents think you can see. And all of us, when we had kids, the only reason why we started to think that I'm an I am an owner is when we did this and then go on a petita. But you do this to your child. You take the child to the hospital. And this child, I want you to understand, has got a body, has got a soul, has got a spirit. Just like you and I have. And this child can see. And, and, and they begin to grow up. 
they have never seen anything inuma kamba zoti kulikali moto ama ngomva sound and even some of them they are born blind and they are also born deaf they can't hear anything they have never seen anything but they are as human as you are so Christ goes to that level and goes like and would never see anything never even your parents you've never the only reason why you say it's your parents is because you only hear their voice but for you to be able to describe you cannot explain to anyone and and interestingly enough interestingly enough in the very same family that somebody else is born blind there are others who are born born and because we grow up as kids and we begin to fight even these ones who can see the one the, the biggest insult they can use to make you feel pain that you're blind. So these guys are being taught, shut up! Keep quiet! And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? Then they said to Jesus, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. I think after the Lord has done that, you say, I'm going to follow you. These, these guys had full conviction that even though we were born blind, even though we have been considered outcasts, even though we have been written off, even though all these things have gone on in our lives, even though our condition was like this, all we know since we were born is this one. They had conviction that Jesus could and would restore their sight. And that's what made them to cry even the more. They had that conviction. And, and my own conviction right now is that we too need to have, to, we need to have a belief. We have to believe that Jesus can heal us. You have to, you know, sometimes... And we pray just because it looks nice that we what? We pray. No wonder Jesus used to say, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Check each and every one of those that cry to the Lord for healing. It's because they had conviction. Lord, you can heal me. There are some things that we were born with. And, and, and you know what? We even come to the point that we, we can even have a verse. You know, until the Lord speaks to you, my grace is sufficient for you, the best you have to do is cry to the Lord. 
Gadin kulankula alangule kuna kuti chisomo changa nchokwanila. Dia uja zona kuti munga huu tikala na obe. But until you hear that word, cry to the Lord. And you need to have the conviction that the Lord can heal. Hallelujah. You have to have that conviction that the Lord can heal. I know sometimes you've been prayed for before. That doesn't matter. But you need to have that conviction. You have to have to say, Lord, I believe you can heal me. And I believe you are willing to heal me. And God, I, I, I believe. The same thing with the salvation. The same thing with salvation. If you're not saved, the question is, do you believe that Christ can save you? Because salvation looks foolish. Salvation looks very foolish. You, you, you were living life. Nothing has changed. Your body exactly looks the same. You eat the way, the way you were eating. You laugh the way you were laughing. You joke the way you were joking. And then all of a sudden, you get this conviction within you and you say, I need to be served. And I believe the Lord can serve me. If you will trust with all my heart. And, and that's what the Bible says. It says, you in your heart. And out of that belief, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says you shall be saved. And, and, and you know, salvation does not necessarily mean you need to have somebody else and say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, acknowledge I'm a sinner. Acknowledge I'm a sinner. I ask you, come into my heart. You can be born again quick. All you have to do is, you have to say, I'm born Those people who have been on their sick beds and say, Lord, if you are real, you can heal. You can stop. Touch me. Touch me. You to go out save you forever. It's the second case. But, but my question this morning. You, let's let's talk. Do you believe that the Lord can heal? Do you believe that? Do you be, do you believe that the Lord can heal you? Do you believe that the Lord is willing to heal you? Do you believe that the Lord can restore you? Do you believe that? Do you believe? that? You know, we are coming to church every Sunday. We can put on all these masks. If you can listen to the signs of the word, the signs of the word says, stay at home. But you come to church. Do you really believe that the Lord can do what his word says? Do you believe 
Hallelujah. Case number two. Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. And in verse 40. So the first case, these guys had full conviction. But let's go to the second case. Mark chapter 1 verse 40. The Bible says, Now a leper, this person had leprosy. The other guys were blind. But these guys had leprosy. This guy had leprosy. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying, I, 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 thank, I thank God for faith. Faith eventually said, you know what, church? Let's not say, if I live your holy life. Let's say, as I live your holy life. Because, because these guys did exactly that. Listen to this. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Let's move on. I'll come back to that. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy, leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Hallelujah. Now, go back into the Old Testament. You remember when there was hunger in Samaria and these guys who had leprosy had been banished. And they had been banished and they were off. And that's what's going on to this guy. And I think it's because what he had gone through. Sometimes what you you have gone through in life, you can come to the point and say, I think in New York, Mafuna would be in a Majis, in a Smafnodumudani, Sajis, in a Mafuna would be Mabanga restore, in a Smafnodum Mabanga restore, in a Mafuna would be about a breakthrough, in a Smafnodum about a breakthrough. In your, in your, this saying is a saying of no good Ambue. In New York, men and animal would do run, more negot in the no gondera. Dieno. Mkukondera wanuko, kwa dide lolo, sikunga kare kwa teka, kuti mutikondera kwa efeyo. Hallelujah. Somehow, it seems this leper had the full faith that Christ has the ability to heal, but had some doubts. Had some doubts as to whether Christ was willing. So we, we come to church, we believe. And I love it, we say, I believe, I believe. But I doubt if he's willing, but I believe. And, and, and that's what he says to me. And you know what? I think it's a good idea. Because if, if it was in other days, you remember the other day when he told the woman, he says, we don't, go, we don't give food that belongs to children to dogs. 
You remember that story? But, but in this case, Christ looks at him and possibly though he might have well rebuked him. Says, without my willingness. You don't see Christ doing that. Jesus merely said, I am willing. And straight away the leprosy left him and he was made whole. You come to church sometimes seriously devoured. Openly disgraced by sin. And all you see upon yourself is leprosy. And you doubt that the Savior is willing to make you whole. You can, you can say a simple prayer, even as the service is going through that. Just say. Your power to save me free of my identity. That's what Jesus said to the father of that young man. Who had a demon? And that will be my last story. We'll continue next week. The young man had a demon. And Jesus said to him, Do you believe? He says, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. And as little faith you may have, that little faith can save. And because he is compassionate to this day, you accept your faith and forgive your unbelief. I can assure you one of the greatest things we struggle with as believers is unbelief. And the unbelief, which is doubt, they do not just come. Where you are today is not where you were when you first started walking with God. When you started walking with God, you believed. You be, I can assure you, you believed. You believed, you, you, you just believed the way you saw God do things and everything else. It's the same thing with our kids. Our kids, there is a certain point, they just believe we can do anything. As they begin to grow up, they begin to doubt. And actually, they, your children can actually come to the point, so now that. You understand what I'm saying? Panopa, zero. Did you want to At that point, because of what they have gone through, they have now reached a level of what? And belief. Previously, it was like. Previously, when I, I have no money, Daddy, just go to the ATM. Mommy, Mommy, just go to the ATM. 
Go to the ATM, mommy. And buy me a toy, mommy. Go to the ATM, mommy. Then later on, they begin to see that they actually see you. They hear you making a call to someone else. I remember a friend who tells me, who told me that one day his father his mother said, this gentleman says, I I went back to school. But being a human being, later on, you what? And I, and I can show you, our children, they actually don't believe anymore that we can do anything. And, and sometimes we go to them and say, Mom, we are dead. I mean, it's not easy. Things were really, really hard, but somehow God has just come to Now I know. Can't do it. And Manawabo Akakula Nkwa Jojo. Those of you who are parents, you know how it feels inside. I can't even explain it. You feel it. Those of you who don't have kids, wait until when that time comes. But those of us who are parents, we know how it feels inside. We know. Iyeyo is empathize with you. <laughs> okay? That's empathy. Is empathize with you. They are putting themselves in your shoes but they can't do anything else. So the conclusion is, And with coronavirus, this kind of prayers will become very, very, very common. But you know our God is. The question is, do you believe? 
do you, do you believe? Do you believe that the Lord can make a way for you? Do you believe that? Or, or it was just a song? Because the last, let's go to the last one. I'll carry on next week. <laughs> carry on next week. The other story, um, um, I will not read it. I will just explain it. And then you can read it again. You find the story in Matthew chapter 8, 28 to 34, and Luke chapter 8, 26 to 39. This is a story of a demon-possessed man. In Matthew chapter 8, it talks about two demon-possessed men. In Luke chapter 8, it talks about one demon-possessed man. And this demon-possessed man, instead of even having a belief in Christ and asking for healing, the spirit within them compelled the man to say, what have we to do with you, Jesus? Son of God. Have you come here to torment us before the time? But the Bible says that Christ was moved with compassion. Amen? And he commanded the evil spirit to come out and enter into peaks. The rest is history. Then the people from the Gadarenes came back and saw that These guys who were demon-possessed, now they're in their normal state. The best they could ask Jesus was, please, leave our country. Leave. So, whilst I know that Christ has pity on those who believe in him, on those who have weak faith, but this is a case whereby this man had no faith at all. There was absolutely nothing that could commend him to the Lord's sympathy. And time and again, you meet people who come to church. Who even though they have led a very sad life. And when I say sad life, I I know what I'm talking about. There are people who have led a sad life. They have led a sad life. And then the interesting thing is they don't want to be converted. It's very interesting when I talk to Pastor Sunga and others. I say, I know The answer is The answer Christ. The answer, the answer, the answer is Christ. They don't know. Literally, they don't know. They don't want to be saved. They don't want to be converted. They don't want they even people don't the people who don't want to be restored, the people who don't want to be forgiven, the people who don't want to be Amen. And even the thought you, you try to say, even the thought of being served 
shall. But I thank God for one word, one scripture. He will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. Son of Tarsus, Son of Tarsus never thought that even for one day he would ever be an apostle of Christ. But because the Lord will have compassion on whom he will have compassion, he stopped the persecutor and changed him into a preacher. And the moment he was saved, he went to propagate the the faith of which he once tried to destroy. You know, my, my prayer this morning is that may the Lord have compassion on some of us. Because they don't want. And when you come to that level, the only way is you will have compassion. You have compassion. Because it will be a total waste of life. You die as you are. You are served. Interestingly, some are served. They are served. And they say, this life I don't want to stop. I've talked to people who drink. I've told people, people who drink, I've told them one simple thing. I said, you want to stop drinking, you just stop. There's no money. There's no magic. There isn't any magic. I don't need to say, hey, fire, fire. Ah. You just need to say, this year. It doesn't mean you will not be tempted. You'll be tempted. But when you tell yourself that, I mean, I'm I loved it. Charles Mango said something. He says, a lot of what we are saying today, some of these people, some of them are church elders, some are faithful members in the church, we gave a lot to church, and everybody said, I'm here again, and everything. And Charles Mango says, I think if I know about it, I'm not going to go to the church, but I'm not going to go to the church, but I'm not going to go to the church. That's sad. You know, if you want to say, you know, is easy in the sea. Because I'll see if, if it, but, but there are things like this. My question is, why should you suffer eternal damnation passing out through this world of which we will pass out through this world without being sprinkled by the blood of Christ? And to be forgiven of your sins. If there is one absolute amazing thing, is to be forgiven of sin. Even to the chief of sinners, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Only return to them. 
confess your iniquity. I have mercy upon you. And my prayer is that may the Lord grant you compassion. I'll continue next week. But this is the scripture I want to give you. Isaiah 54. Verse 10. Says, Even though, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Nor my covenant of peace be removed. Says the Lord who has compassion I was just trying to begin. And I will explain a lot of things. But one thing with the understanding we have today as we, as we finish the service, I want to give you a charge. I will come back to that charge next week. Ephesians chapter 432. New International Version. It says, be kind and compassionate one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The reason why we struggle with forgiveness is because we haven't gotten yet to the point of compassionate. And our I'll build from there next week. The Lord is just a verse. Anybody else in church this morning who don't raise your hand? Who have got issues to settle with other people? Don't lift, don't lift up your hand at all. Somebody else has done things to you and you are really struggling to forgive. The answer is very simple here. The Bible says, be kind and compassionate. And if we can just be more kind and more compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, it would be simple. But it is built on one thing. Just as Christ in God forgave him. When I read scriptures like these, sometimes I think Christus Nadani Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name we want to thank and bless you. As we continue to talk about the evidence of your goodness, here is one of them. You are a compassionate To this day in Hebrews chapter 4, you say that we come to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And the reason why we come there is because God, you have ever put on a body like my body, like my brother's body, like my sister's body. 
And you know what it feels like to be in a human body. For those that are struggling with diabetes, blood pressure, headache, bondages of whatever sort, cancer, HIV, COVID-19, and anything else they may be struggling with right now. My prayer in the name of Jesus Christ is that, Lord, show them your compassion. They may not believe. They may be struggling with unbelief right now. But you are a compassionate God. For those who, whose faith has been charged this morning. And they are saying, Lord, serve me, help my unbelief. Lord, hear their prayer. Those who have the conviction that God you can hear. Answer them, Lord. Those who say, Nothing to do with you, God. You have compassion on whom you have compassion. We give you glory, we give you praise. Worship your holy name. Touch your people. As we leave church today, I pray that we'll be compassionate and kind to one another. It'll be easy for us to forgive, knowing and understanding that in Christ. God, you forgive us. Even though you knew we were going to rebel. Be glorified, be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen.